0: Hello, everyone. Um, I completely lost my train of thought about what I was going to say. Oh, yes. So just quick note before this episode starts. Um, there was some audio issues. So about halfway through, uh, there will be an audio change. And Dusk is going to give a quick recap of a bunch of stuff that had to be cut. Because uh, our recording software decided to layer five minutes of podcast into 30 seconds but not like just play it super fast it like layered it all so it's happening all at once and it's just a garbled mess so I had to delete it so about halfway through that's gonna happen um sorry about that um other than that uh, content warnings for this. Uh, episode is we do talk about more Kingdom Hearts spoilers Uh, there's some discussion of cultural appropriation and then the same content warnings for last week we discussed disassociation Um, there will be uh, some definitions in the episode description uh, for terms you might not be familiar with Um, but otherwise I hope you enjoy the episode, and I hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. It's Joe. This is Necessary Tangents. We didn't say it last week. Yeah, I did. Autumn.
1: I did say Necessary Tangents. Did you? Yeah. Damn it.
0: <laughs> All my outrage. <laughs> I've said it every time. I know you have. You, you do a much better job than I do at remembering, yeah. which is wild. Um, uh, Rhoda's here again.
2: Sorry. Hello. I'm I'm
0: very tired. <laughs> You're
2: good. <laughs> but hello, yes. I am Road again. I am here. I am clear. I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> Goddamn booed. <laughs>
0: uh, but we're here to talk more about um DID and uh Kingdom Hearts.
2: Yeah. Um. Autumn, Joe, do you want me to give like a synopsis of what we talked about before, or do you want me to just dive in? Uh, synopsis th- th- can't hurt. Okay, so. Uh, we were talking about, um, namely the the relations to uh, Lee and Roxas, and how their experiences can correlate to uh, alters, fragments, and different aspects of like dissociative disorders. Lee uh, is an example of integration, or basically the merging of alters into another being. That has had their own ability to process how they have been integrated, what led to their integration, and also how they choose to be an an individual from there on. Roxas's case comes from him realizing that he is effectively part of Sora's system, and the veil of safety that comes from dissociative disorders for the longest time, as maladaptive as it can be, Being lifted, and Roxas having to come to terms of figuring out his own individuality while still acknowledging that he is part of someone else's system, that being Sora. (laughs) And now we are going to segue into either Shion or Ventus and Venitas, whichever one that you guys think is easier to swallow right now.
1: Christ, um, you know. Last la- last last week we we tried we we wanted to do you know mo- most mo- most easiest first uh let's do the opposite this time w- which one is most complicated
2: ah oh. uh. mm. I would actually say Shion because Ventus's is a lot easier to describe yeah
0: because so. Gianna also requires uh Domine
2: mm-hmm yeah so. Before I get into Shion, I do want to talk a little bit about Naminé, and not Naminé being a weird case in all of this in relation to dissociation, because with Naminé, especially with how we see her in Kingdom Hearts 3, we have to acknowledge that in the Kingdom Hearts uh, universe, alters are physically their own beings. They are not just alters with it that work together in one body, they are all their own individual people. And I say this because of my interpretation, like through a dissociative lens, of Nominee being, and there's a specific role for this. Um, Nominee is the gatekeeper, or I prefer the term manager, of Sora's system. Nominee, we all know, came from. Sora sacrificing uh, himself to free Kairi's heart after defeating Ansem when he he possessed Riku. And that had led to Naminé. Naminé has some physical characteristics similar to Kairi, very similar to how we see similar characteristics of Kairi in Shion. But, like Shion, Naminé has more ties to Sora. More specifically... She has ties and abilities to control his memories. And things related to, like, memories, uh, distribution related uh, to that, and namely just also trying to keep, a, uh, keep the system, the body, like, in check, like having information within and outside be as copacetic as possible. That is the role of the gatekeeper. And managing memories is a very notable role related to that. So, nominee is pretty powerful in that regard. And related, like, segueing to Xion, by extension, with this, like, dissociative uh, kind of look, nominee technically should have dominion over others in the system. Sometimes this can be the case for gatekeepers. Sometimes, like, it's not that they can have dominion over the entire system for their role. It's complicated. It varies from dissociative person to dissociative person. But with Shion, Shion's uh, circumstance in relation to dissociative disorders is a similar case to Roxas, where she is having to realize that she is part of a system but she takes it in a different manner than how Roxas does while Roxas is able to reconcile that he can still be an individual while still being part of Sora's system which that gets kind of blurry with the fact that with the battle that he and Sora had in the world of awakening um in Kingdom Hearts 2 towards the end of the game, you could interpret that encounter and Roxas saying you make a good other as and I should have mentioned this before either them integrating or Roxas going dormant, which dormancy for altars and fragments is akin akin to like a suspended animation or like a cryostasis some people describe it as like a comatose it's when The altar is still there and known and able to be perceived in the system, but they are are asleep. They're not really doing anything. They're just there. So, with uh, Shion, she had a different take of her realizing that she is part of Sora's system. Instead, she really internalized the circumstance especially given what she was realizing with organization 13 and how they had morphed her they had purposefully morphed her out of sora's memories sora's conscious so that they could have a second keyblade wielder alongside roxas should roxas rebel and that is also exceedingly complicated. With and this is also going to be an, a very controversial topic in relation to topomancy. Western topomancy is the inception of another altered being, not through, not through the understood means uh, psychologically in relation to trauma response, but often. Tolpas, like Western Tolpas and Topomancy, are created on the grounds of wanting someone for the sake of a very personal thing, whether it be to ease loneliness or, unfortunately, and I see this very often in the undergrounds of adult communities, uh, effectively servitude and. A TLDR when it comes to Western Topomancy. It is a corruption of Tibetan Buddhism and deity yoga. Topas are traditionally speaking for Buddhism. They are not astral projections. They are not in any manifestation or anything like that, despite the fact that Trupa, the word in Tibetan, can literally be translated as manifestation. Tulpas in deity yoga and Tibetan Buddhism are not anything related to the manifesting of another being or the manifesting of anything outside of yourself. A fulpa, and I realize that I said that they're not astral projections, they, I am not Buddhist, I am not Tibetan, I am not anyone like of this faith. I only studied like so much of it to be cognizant. I wish that we had... Like someone who... I wish we had people that knew of, that knew of Tibetan Buddhism and knew a deity yoga to talk about this. But from what I know, um, topas are nothing related to the conjuring of another being. And a lot of people that promote or do uh, Western topomancy do something more akin to a yidam. A dumb is more akin to the manifestation of another person, and it is very appropriative given the fact that one, they are using you know, words that are indicative of a very specific spirituality that is still living, it is endangered, dead, and they can rob the metaphorical grave of a faith and take the remains. I don't support, them, and I'm laying that down right now. All of that said, going back to. Hey everybody, Post Production Road here, wanting to give some context on this section of the podcast. A lot of material was lost from the file transfer, as Joe said, so I wanted to give a quick bit of a TLDR on this. So, I mentioned a bit on Western Topomancy in relation to Shion, and there's a big reason for this. So, Western Topomancy is a movement and practice based on the corruptions of Tibetan Buddhism and deity yoga, and founded on the manifestation of another being within the same body, for various personal means, from easing one's loneliness and having someone to talk to, supposedly having an altar, having an extra shoulder to lean on, to making a sexual slave in toxic sides of erotic hypnosis and BDSM circles. Many proponents of Western topomancy deny or minimize the appropriative actions of their practice by saying the inspiration of Western topomancy, one Alexander David Nail, was a white woman from Europe who, some say, globalized the ideas of Buddhism. Others claim that deity yoga and other religious and spiritual practices that relate to Buddhist tulpas are dead, and thus, no one actually cares for the retaking and rebranding of tulpas. These ideologies are, from my research and understanding of Buddhists and Buddhism, appropriating, minimizing, and fetishizing Asian spirituality. As noted in Outside University Walls, Alexander David Nail's Influence in Developing the Field of Buddhist Studies by Mary Michelle, the 14th Dalai Lama had dubbed Alexander David Nail, the very woman people claim to be Western topomancy's inspiration, as a necessary voice for the preservation of Buddhist praxis in the fight against forced assimilation under the Chinese Communist Party. While David Nail's contributions to the topics within Buddhism are controversial within some Buddhist circles due to her illegal means to get to Tibet that led to her globalizing the spirituality, to me as an outsider and also as a dissociative person, the fact that the spiritual head of this faith called her a needed voice in the fight against forced assimilation makes her works being used as inspiration for something such as willingly, conjuring another being as if this other being will solve your problems, stain all the more. It doesn't excuse her behavior and the risks that she caused, but it also doesn't discredit the appropriative nature of Western topomancy either, whether you see David Nail as an appropriator herself or not. Western topas are not tulpas, and neither of them are dissociative. Dissociative people are dissociative because our dissociation comes from a maladaptive response to the instinct of survival in time of crisis, while physically having no way to leave, instead being required to physically stay to appease the outside forces at play. Western Tulpas are a willing dissociation, a conjuring of another being for the sake of a purpose that the conjurer has every ability to morph how they respond to, the willingness coming from either the body that the tulpa resides, or by someone else that desires a tulpa in someone else. In either case, while Western tulpas, as their own entities, can be empathized with regarding their forced existence, their conjurer or conjurers cannot. Buddhist tulpas, in contrast, are, from my understanding as a non-Buddhist, Roughly, but not exactly similar to, astral projection due to their connections to meditation. This is something that I wish we could have a Buddhist uh, clarify and verify, but this is what I know personally. That being said, with this general dissociative lens that puts Western topomancy into perspective, we can look at Shion as a Western Tulpa. She was morphed, forcefully manifested by Vexen in Organization thirteen to be a war machine through Sora's memories and when she realizes her existence and how she came to be, how she came from Sora because she was forced into existence when Sora had no choice, she understandably feels guilt for her life at the expense of his. Organization thirteen copied and morphed Sora's abilities as a Keyblade wielder and then some to craft a perfect being for the sake of their goal, and that cannot be justified. All the same, with this context in mind, please know that I'm not martyrizing Shion's pain and death. I'm not meaning to martyrize or meaning to normalize the manifestation of Western Tolpas by painting them in the eyes of tragedy through Shion. Shion as a character and a person within Kingdom Hearts and Kingdom Hearts lore is more than worthy of support and individuality. And this allegory is not to criticize her as a character and the fandom she has, but rather the allegory in her means of inception and the reality of it that should be noticed and condemned as playing God and cultural appropriation and the conjuring of something based on want rather than instinct. Uh, for power and for Kingdom Hearts and the change of the world, Ventus and Venetus are the literal <laughs> Ventus associated with Samsara that everyone else deals with. Because he is light. He is pure light. Similar to Kyrie. Kyrie and Ventus had needed a, a host, a source, for darkness to influence them. And even then, it didn't really influence them. Their light had influenced Sora's darkness, leading to how Roxas looks like Ventus, how Fionn and Naminé both have characteristics related to Kyrie. Now going to Vanitas, Vanitas is the polar opposite of Ventus, literally and metaphorically speaking. Vanitas is pure darkness, and the source of the unversed and we know from uh, I'm forgetting the the specific name for it but it's like all the booklets and information like official canon information that has been printed for the Kingdom Hearts series we know that Vanitas is constantly in pain from the unversed not only coming from him but those that die and are brought back to him. Vanitas's circumstance is a literal non-stop cycle of dissociation and integration. Because he is in constant pain, constant grief in relation to these enemies that come from his being, either as the and effectively I would categorize unversed as the most fragment-like of like all of the enemies. I could also go into the Dream Eater's if we wanted to. But focusing on Venetus and the Unversed, the, the Unversed, because they are made from a source of pure darkness, they are the most autopilot when it comes to just a thirst for destruction. That is what the Unversed are. They are made of pure negativity. And Venetus is that source of negativity, of darkness. But when it through Birth by Sleep, through the course of Aqua, Terra, and Ventus, fighting these unversed, we know that Vanitas is constantly in pain, but it is from that pain that more unversed come to being. So Vanitas is forever stuck in this cycle of dissociation and integration, and it's really sad <laughs> Yeah, that was that was definitely a lot easier to explain than she Yeah. Well that's You know, I never really thought about
0: the nobodies in that way. Mm. But that's definitely very interesting. And mm. I wonder I wonder how much of that was on their minds when they created the uh the nobodies, or if this is just whoops we accidentally created uh really good examples of mm. uh alters and the like
2: I I I can't say 100% I would think that it's accidental namely because from what I've seen from movies and such like split and glass Um, other shows Uh the other shows and films that say that they come from a place of research on dissociative disorders the research that they take is still very radicalizing and vilifying and it often comes from a uh, if i remember right a friend of mine had told me it was either the adventure zone or some other podcast that the, an, another tabletop uh, podcast had tried to explain um, a race of people two times that one of them was very overtly based on research of dissociative identity disorder. But the folks had called them out saying like, hey, this is way too polarizing. This is not very indicative of dissociative disorders. But the second time that the same podcast had talked about a different race, there was no research of the dissociative disorders or anything like that talked about or involved. However, the mentions of the race and how they deal with, because both of them deal with similar circumstances of kind of like a hive mind, kind of not. I don't remember the whole thing. This is just going off of memory. But the second time that I talked about a second race, uh, of a similar caliber with no research, but no mentions or research related to dissociative disorders, it felt a lot more genuine because it wasn't researched, but it was accidentally coded. That makes sense? I think so. Autumn? Like,
1: yeah, like, do, do you think that, like, maybe just like a lot of, like, maybe the more easily. Found research is just old outdated crap
2: (laughs) yeah because it all it's it's complicated because while a lot of systems are trying to get better research like for us and it's totally understandable unfortunately a lot of people in the medical field still minimize dissociative disorders despite the fact that there has been changes in regards to how we are titled i mean until, like, what, 94, 95, D.I.D. used to be called multiple personality disorder. Until very recently, partial D.I.D. was called other specified dissociative disorder. And a lot, like, in, like, my private uh, group of friends that are predominantly dissociative, we would not be surprised in, like, a few years this change of terminology for dissociative disorders turns into uh, a term for like a dissociative spectrum. However, just because we have these changes does not mean that the entire medical field is going to accept dissociation. And at least from my perspective, this stems from the controversy of Sybil from the 1970s. She was a very prominent face uh, in modern most research related to dissociative disorders however after the book uh the the i think it was like an autobiography i don't know, a biography no it was a biography written by her therapist that she collaborated with but after that book had come out sybil had said that she was faking and that's a whole topic for another day tldr at least from my opinion is that I can't say 100% because I can empathize with when a system feels the need to say that they are faking because there's too much attention and too much monolithing of you personally when you say that you are a system and try to advocate for research and understanding and destigmatization. So, and given the fact that Sibyl is long past dead, we can neither confirm nor deny that Sybil had actually faked anything. But since she had said in news interviews that she had faked her dissociative disorder, that has caused a massive schism in not only socially understanding dissociative disorders, but medically. And that has definitely affected how frequently and and how specifically we are researched. And by that struggle to get better research, it's harder for us to get understood. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that answered your question, because I think I tangented. That
1: Good. Seemed pretty it was... necessary. Waga <laughs> waga! <laughs> like, if there's no tangents, then what are we? Just necessaries? Yeah. This, this okay. is the new podcast, just necessary. <laughs> well, um, um, I think you're necessary in my
2: life. Well, you're a Aww. Aww.
1: Good thing I'm also a tangent!
2: <laughs> I mean, por que no los dos, though? <laughs> um. Yeah, with all of that. Like I said, I could talk about, like, the Dream Eaters in a dissociative sense if you guys wanted, but I'm not sure how much time that we have left. Um no offense i'm very tired no you're good you're totally good uh so let's go
0: on to plugs does anyone Uh, have uh plugs they'd like to plug plug plug
2: to plug plug um i mean i have a twitch channel a bunch of social medias where i do art and gaming streams um road to dusk art and games the and being a plus sign Um, my schedule is going to be revised, uh, in a bit since I have personal stuff going on that's making it hard for me to stream, but we'll see what happens. Very nice.
1: Autumn, do you have anything? Uh, yes, but I kind of just realized, or at least thought, uh, I, I I can't remember if I plugged this. It's more music, because that's my thing, but I can't remember if I plugged it or not. So, real quick, I am looking up how to pronounce a different band's name to plug. (laughs) (laughs) Because one thing that's hard in music, and being a band, so many names are taken. So so many things already exist. So you have to come up with new things, you have to find different languages, different, you know, sometimes make things up, and it gets to a point where you look at a band name, it's like, cool logo how do i pronounce that yeah um, so i am going to re- real real quick like if joe you have a-, a plug you want to do besides me just sitting here rambling scrolling through text to find the spelling of this band so uh there is a
0: game i recently played and beat called uh 13 sentinels aegis rim it's really fucking good it's a uh It's a visual novel that also has, like, a side game, which is a real-time strategy RPG, where, like, unfortunately, it's a game where if I describe anything about it, it's spoiling something. Uh, but just basic, super, super basic overview. Uh, 13 teenagers have to get into giant robots and fight aliens for reasons. The SRPG bit is where you're fighting the aliens and the visual novel is explaining why you're fighting aliens. Hmm. Uh also it really makes me want to have Yakisoba Pan, but no one around here makes Yakisoba Pan and Ooh! I'm very angry. That sounds so good though.
2: Right i'm trying uh, to think like what oh did you
1: figure out uh the name yes I, I found i found the spelling and i'm going to attempt to pronounce um uh it is a, a band i want to say from uh you know i'm not gonna say where it's from because i cannot confirm it right in front of me but it's a prog metal band uh, very relatively small and pr- very new, called a Desiderium. Ooh, Uh super rad shit. Um, and it's very, very you know modern type prog metal. It just beautiful like clean passages and intricate riffs. It's good shit. If you like prog prog stuff, check it out. Mm-hmm.
2: Ooh, I just thought of another band as well. You guys mind? Yes, go for it. So there's a um that there's a metal band that takes like a lot of like uh, influence from like classical music. Uh, I believe they're from Spain, called Dark More, Moor. M O O R. I I found them a few years ago. Forgot about them. Found them again, and they're awesome. Um, some of my favorite songs that they've done, they, they, one of their albums took a lot of inspiration from um, history. Um, so like they did, uh, they have a song for like Joan of Arc. They had a song for flipping uh, Victor Hugo's Notre Dame. Um, they also have a lot of songs inspired by classical music. They have one song that is what well, with lyrics a, an entire metal uh, di- uh, version of the Swan Lake Overture by Tchaikovsky, and it's amazing. <laughs> I, I highly recommend them.
0: Very nice. Right, very cool. I'll make sure to have links in the description so y'all can check out these cool, cool vans. Uh, anyone have anything else they want to mention before we sign off?
2: No, I think that covers everything for me.
0: <laughs> Kingdom farts. Oh, Autumn, where would I be without you? (laughs) That's all foreshadowing.